Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to the May 2016 CTSS quiz. There are 10 terrific cases, and hopefully you got them all right. And if you didn't get them all right, hopefully you learned something. So let's go through and let's discuss each of the cases. This is an interesting case. I guess the first thing you have to really think about is where is the contrast? So if you look on these two lateral views, you see contrast in the rectum and contrast in the bladder. Then you have to think to yourself, how did we give this contrast? Well, I guess we could have given it through a suprapubic catheter, which is in place, or we could have given it with rectal contrast. And in fact, in this case, contrast was placed down the suprapubic catheter, and you can see the bladder is distended in part, but then you see a fistulous tract going from bladder to the colon. And this is a classic example of a colovesical fistula. The most common cause of a colovesical fistula is diverticulitis. The second most common is Crohn's disease. It also can be due to prior surgery or can be due to trauma. In this case, it was due to prior surgery. Just a very nice example. One could argue that this is a perforated bladder, a perforated colon. I guess a fistulous tract, by definition, kind of implies perforation. But the best answer, colovesical fistula. Very good case. This patient had right flank pain, and I'm asking what the diagnosis is. And you can see the four choices I've given you are all vascular. Well, when you look closely at the renal arteries, particularly the right renal artery, you see a beating pattern. And that is basically classic of a fibromuscular dysplasia. It can be very focal or diffuse. It can be unilateral or it can be bilateral. This is not a case of stenosis. You do consider vasculitis. Anytime you see a funny-looking vessel, I always consider vasculitis. But to me, vasculitis usually means vessel thickening and areas of narrowing. This is really beating. If you have a focal dilatation, then you think of an aneurysm. But this pattern of multiple beating, often bilateral, is what you see with fibromuscular dysplasia. So D is indeed the best answer for this case. This patient fell on their hand, slipped on ice, and the question was fracture or no fracture. Interestingly, plain films were uncertain. And you know, the truth is carpal bone fractures are missed in more than half cases, half the cases with plain film. When you look at this case, and I'm giving you a high-res axial image and then a 3D reconstruction, you can very nicely see a non-displaced scaphoid fracture. It's in the mid-third, which is always of concern. The rest of the bones, from the radius to the trapezoid, all look okay. Could this be a chronic scaphoid fracture? I guess it could be. Sometimes you have non-union, but this was acute based on history. There's no periosteal reaction, and so a very nice example of an acute scaphoid fracture. In this case, I asked you for the least likely diagnosis. Well, what's the problem here? There's a big spleen, and it's poorly enhancing despite a good arterial injection and normal enhancing liver. So what does that mean? Well, it means there's something infiltrating. And infiltration could be leukemia or it could be lymphoma. Mono can cause a large spleen with infiltration. Sarcoidosis can also cause splenic lesions. More than half patients with sarcoid do have splenic lesions, but usually it's discrete lesions that are hypodense. It can be single or multiple, and it can involve the entire spleen. But just to have diffuse low density like this is just not the typical appearance of sarcoidosis. So that's going to be my best answer for the least likely diagnosis.
In this case, I'm asking you for the least likely diagnosis. The key finding is the diffuse gastric wall thickening. And if you look carefully, this is really impressively thickened. This is not a uh, lack of distension. You also notice besides being thick in the walls and hands. And so if I asked you what's the best diagnosis, you probably would say Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, which is indeed the case, and that's what this was. But I'm asking you for the least likely diagnosis. Well, diffuse gastric wall thickening can be gastritis, and it can surely be lymphoma. Now, undistended stomachs can simulate gastric pathology, but the fact is here we gave enough contrast. This is really the stomach. We gave extra when the patient went on the table. This was markedly gastric wall thickening due to Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. It is not due to underdistended stomach. Okay, very good. What's the least likely diagnosis in this case? When you look carefully, and I've given you two images, the key is the left ureter. And to make it easier for you, because I only gave you two images, I put a circle around the ureter. And you see a filling defect in the ureter. So what could it be? Could it be a transitional cell carcinoma? Absolutely could be. Could it be a blood clot? The patient had hematuria and a renal mass, let's say. It surely could be a blood clot. Metastatic disease? Mets to ureters are uncommon, but it can be. And in fact, in truth, this was metastatic melanoma to the ureter. So that leaves you with number C, peristalsis. Now, peristalsis can result in the ureter not being opacified, but it's not going to give you discrete filling defects. So the least likely diagnosis in this case was C, peristalsis in the ureter. This patient had abdominal pain and weight loss, and the reality is everyone felt this patient may have a malignancy. Now you look at the pancreas and it's enlarged and low density and the first thing that crosses your mind is pancreatic adenocarcinoma. But when you look carefully, the entire gland or most of the gland is diffusely enlarged. There's a halo around the gland. The glands of low density. There's no dilated pancreatic duct. There's no dilated common duct. And that's the appearance of autoimmune pancreatitis. Now remember, autoimmune pancreatitis can present like a neoplasm, both in terms of symptoms, in terms of lab values, and in terms of CT. Now this obviously is not a normal pancreas, and it's not an adenocarcinoma, there's no dilated duct, and it's a long segment of infiltration. Could this be lymphoma? I guess in my mind I would at least think about that. Lymphoma may not dilate the common or uh, intrahepatic ducts. It may not dilate the pancreatic duct, and so it's the thought but this sausage appearance, this lower density, is more classic for autoimmune pancreatitis, which is a very popular diagnosis these days, and I'm sure many of you knew that. In this febrile patient, what's the best diagnosis? Well, when you look at the kidneys, image on your left, you see multiple low-density zones in the kidney, and you could say, well, could this be infection or tumor or infarction? And then you look at the image on your right, which is also expiratory phase imaging, and you see those striated low-density zones. You see multiple low-density patchy changes, and that's a striated nephrogram. That's classic for acute polynephritis. It's not infarcts. Infarcts will be more wedge-shaped. Renal cell carcinoma is more mass-like, and lymphoma is more mass-like as well. So the best diagnosis and the history of fever sure helps you is with dealing with acute polynephritis. This is a great case, and I resisted putting this in for a few months, but I said, what the hell? Look at the case, and look at the ribs, and look between the ribs, and look at the intercostal arteries. We see intercostals very well on CT, 
But look at these intercostals. They all have focal dilatation. They all have aneurysms. What in the world gives you intercostal artery aneurysms? So you could think perhaps maybe these are just dilated intercostal arteries, but it's focally dilated. It's not a normal variation because it ain't nothing normal I've ever seen. And in some sense, it could be AV shunting, but what else really is it? Well, multiple vessels are involved, multiple levels. These were multiple intercostal artery aneurysms. That's exceedingly rare, but we have now seen it in Marfan's. Okay, just a beautiful example. Now, we talk about coarctation of the aorta with very large intercostal arteries, but that usually doesn't give you aneurysms and not multiple aneurysms. Um, Things like Ehlers-Danlos give you multiple aneurysms, intercostal. So you want to be thinking about one of the vasculitis type patterns, those hereditary ones. But beautiful, beautiful example. All right, this is the number 10 case, and I figured I'd give you a really tough case. I asked you what the turtle ate for dinner. Well, that's an interesting, interesting question. If you look at the 3D images in the mid-abdomen, you see very high-density structures that are present. And if you look really hard and you have a really good imagination, there's a claw. So it's not a steak, right? It's not lettuce. What kind of turtles can eat lettuce anyway? It's not tuna. You don't feed turtles tuna. It's a lobster. The patient had lobster for dinner and there's the claw. So with that, I hope you get lobster for dinner and have a great day.